Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We are doing a special series on COVID-19 and the impacts that it will have on both the healthcare and economic space. And today I'm very lucky to be with Dr. Sujit Vasudevan, uh, who's a family physician and practices in Cochin, Kerala. We're doing very well at containing the virus right now. And he's been practicing for about 41 years, so he has great experience. Hi, Dr. Sujit, how are you doing? Hi, Arman, I'm fine. And how are you? Doing good, doing good. And I, I really want to you know, jump into this topic because it's very important that we fight against the spread of misinformation right now because there's a lot going on. You know, we're getting WhatsApp messages here and there saying this about the virus, saying that about the virus. But a lot of us don't have a clear understanding of what it is really. So could you go into what is COVID-19? How did it start? How do I get it and how does it spread? Okay, I, I agree with you that, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, misinformation or fake news about COVID. Uh, I think there's some kind of a machinery going on which manufactures fake news all the time. Now to uh, expand COVID-19, that is uh, coronavirus disease, and it was discovered towards the end of 2019. So the 19 comes in there. So that's the uh, expansion of the acronym COVID-19. Um, this is a viral disease. Viral uh, viruses are uh, uh, small sub-microscopic particles. Uh, they are not alive, according to all studies, but they can cause a lot of havoc. They've been around for some time. And the word uh, virus actually uh, comes from a Latin term meaning poison. Uh, so this uh, two terms may be very familiar to most of you. One is uh, called SARS, S-A-R-S, and the other one is MERS, M-E-R-S. And the third one, which is extremely uh, common, which everybody understands is common cold. Now, all these... Uh, diseases uh, were caused or are caused by a single virus called as a coronavirus. Only thing is that they are mutated uh, different forms of the coronavirus. Why it is called corona is because when you look at the microscopic or atomic microscopic uh, picture of the virus, there are certain spikes which are protein spikes which resemble the corona of the sun. So that's why it's called coronavirus. The disease of COVID-19 is caused by what is now categorized as SARS-CoV-2. That stands for the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. It's it's self-explanatory. The Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome is the the symptoms which are caused by the disease. And Coronavirus 2, because uh, if you understand a few decades ago, there was a Another epidemic which originated from uh, uh, South China, which was called as SARS. And now that is being referred to as SARS-1. And this is SARS-2 or SARS-CoV-2. This appeared for all practical purposes of what we know uh, in late 2019 in a city uh, called Wuhan. It's a huge city in in southern China or south-central China. And it may have originated in a wet market or a seafood market in Wuhan. And it is a it is a zoonosis in the sense that this virus is normally found in animals uh, and it transmitted between animals. But sometimes it mutates and jumps uh, species. So it jumps from animals to human beings. And in this case, while there were a lot of initial thoughts that it could have come from civet cats or from... Uh, Uh, pangolins or from snakes, it is now more or less less established that it it has come from fruit bats, uh, which are very high, I understand, on the uh, menu of the tables in China. So this is zoonosis, it's jumped from bats to, uh, or possibly from bats to human beings, and they cause uh, respiratory symptoms uh, in uh, human beings just like uh, MERS or Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. And uh, the 
method of spread is uh, by what is called as droplets or is an airborne infection but this being a slightly large uh, uh, virus doesn't you know hang around in the air for very long time it travels a distance of about 1 meter or 1 and 1/2 meters and then settles down so it can come either if somebody with the disease coughs in your face or sneezes in your face or you touch the secretions which are on the on surfaces and then touch your own face or mouth or nose or it can even enter through the eye so this is the way it is transmitted and these are the basics uh, about the virus and uh, where it originated from i hope that that was simple enough for uh, for most people to understand yeah i think it it definitely was and so the way it mutated from animals to people you're saying in theory yeah. is because we would have eaten said animal that is linked to this or disease close, to this close, virus or not necessarily not necessarily okay. eaten come even coming mm-hmm. in close contact okay. coming in close contact when you know you you tend even eating uh, mm-hmm. because there are many uh, civilizations or many types of ethnicities uh, which do not cook their food adequately so even buying a piece of meat which is contaminated and taking it with you could cause the infection but i read a, an article yesterday on from a fairly reliable source that uh, uh, the the zero case as we call or the index case the first case uh, uh, was a shrimp seller in the wuhan seafood market and she mm-hmm. could have got it from somebody from a common uh, from a common bathroom in the ma- in the market in the toilet yeah mm-hmm. so that's because you know they they the Uh, if you look at pictures which have been uh, you know disgustingly filling our uh, telephone and other screens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you could have seen the animals in cages or dead animals being displayed as wares in all these markets you know things ranging from scorpions and cockroaches to uh, snakes and civet cats and dogs and things like that so correct it's a it's a it's a simple jump from uh, from an animal to I mean, if you look at the previous ones, also uh, SARS and MERS were from bats. Nipah was from bats. Mm. Uh, swine swine flu was from pigs. Bird flu was from poultry. So these are all viruses which have uh, mutated and uh, learned to adapt inside human cells. Mm. So, so, so Doctor Sujit, that you eat, yes, sir. Right. So uh, Dr. Sujit there's a lot of you know again information going about how we again you've gone into how we contract the disease but there's a lot of information going around about how we can stay away from the disease you know there's the mixture of social distancing and then there is don't even go outside don't even leave your house because there's a possibility you know that you know it'll somehow just fly into you you know there there's a lot of you know crazy stuff going around Now, yeah yeah what are the actual strategies and methodologies yeah. that we can implement yeah, yeah. to ensure that we do not contract the disease right it's it's ridiculous to say that you know uh, don't don't go out to the house at all because it's hanging out there it's mm-hmm. certainly not hanging out there like i said earlier it's a fairly um, large viral particle so it doesn't float around in the air for very long so i think uh, Uh, what we have been talking about for quite some time is uh, about social distancing uh, mm-hmm. physical social distancing uh, this is true of uh, healthy people as well as uh, suspected people quarantine people self isolated people everybody has to isolate the distance recommended is between 1 and 1 and 1/2 meters i would say for safety about 2 meters now the lockdown was imperative uh because you know by nature and by upbringing we are a very irresponsible race I, i'm very sorry to say that maybe i should include <laughs> myself inside that but uh, uh it, it's all or nothing for us mm-hmm. uh, like if the lockdown were not implemented you would go out in groups you would go to the park to have your walk along with a few thousand other people you would go to the supermarket or the grocery store or you would uh, you know go for a play or go for a movie theater so i think uh, while you cannot get it by just going out for a walk or going out onto the road 
certainly if you come close to an individual who is harboring the virus who is excreting the virus um if you come close to him you st- you are at great risk of getting the virus so similarly if you are going say for on an, on an escalator or on a staircase and uh, you keep your hand on the railing and the previous man who was or, or or maybe just 5 minutes earlier or 1 hour earlier or 2 hours earlier if it's a metal surface on the railing if the person has uh, you know infected his hands he has his hands have come in touch with his saliva and he has uh, slid his hand down the at the banister the, mm-hmm. down the railing and then you put your hand on the railing and you go down and then accidentally it's it's, it's estimated that everybody touches his or her face uh, inadvertently uh, about 4 to 500 times in an hour uh, wow. day, i forget i'm not very sure it's not a medical fact anyway but uh, uh, you touch your you, you do that uh, very often so uh, if you if by some chance you pick up this man's uh, contaminated saliva or droplets or whatever is on your hand and you touch it on your face uh bingo you got it so mm. you have to keep a distance uh, or what is called as social physical distancing distancing and practice extreme i i stress this point of extreme hand and respiratory hygiene when you say hand hygiene it is a washing your hands every time you think you have come in contact with some surface even if somebody delivers something to your house you once you have touched that container or you handed over some money to that man uh, because you have not been able to do online transactions you come you thoroughly wash your hands with soap and water if you do not have immediate access to soap and water uh, you use a alcohol based uh, hand sanitizer and thoroughly wash your hands I mean, and then the mm-hmm. clean scrub your hands that means you know uh, not just the palms and the back part of the hand but in between the fingers the thumb the wrist and the nails and the nail beds have to be thoroughly clean you cannot overemphasize this you cannot overemphasize this because you know it it doesn't take a very large viral load to to infect you uh, similarly mm. if you have got a cough and uh, a cold or uh, you have any respiratory symptoms uh, it is advisable you wear a mask a mask does not protect you sh- surely from the disease i don't think it's advisable or needed for everybody to wear a, a surgical mask Uh, surgical masks are worn for example uh, if you have got a cold which may or may not be corona uh, i mean covid 19 and you need to go out to buy something urgently or you need to go to the hospital uh, because you are not well please wear a mask and go because you protect other people similarly if you are in the house and you have a cold wear a mask to wear your loud one, to to protect your uh, uh, loved ones to see that they don't come in contact with them uh, so i think you know that is the thing but the lockdown is more of a a, a disciplinary mechanism to get us used to uh, the idea that uh, isolation is important that we should not go out in groups we should not uh, uh, come in unnecessary contact with people um, man is a very social creature i mean i mean uh, i have been in lockdown voluntary lockdown much before the enforced lockdown uh, because i am over 65 years and i have diabetes so i have locked myself up for from uh, from about 12 days now uh, and uh, there are times i feel very depressed and then i realize it's for my own good and mm-hmm. unless is really urgent now i get i can get everything at my at my gate i can get provisions i can get vegetables i can get uh, chicken the only regret is i can't get potato chips at my at my gate <laughs> that i regret yeah <laughs> so but that's that's uh, the idea of a lockdown the prevention is mm-hmm. uh, by uh, by by staying away from other people that's the main prevention and uh, let me now put in a word because there's a lot of talk about this chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine in the in the uh, in whatsapp and uh, doctors who should know better are recommending that everybody should take chloroquine it's a very sad state of affairs because uh, you know this is not recommended anywhere in the world that everybody should take chloroquine the indian council of medical research has said that there are two categories of people who can take who should take hydroxychloroquine 
as a preventive measure uh, that is healthcare workers who are directly working with covid-19 patients and uh, caregivers and relatives of patients who are isolated at home who are proven to be uh, covid-19 positive uh, this is to protect them again let me stress here that hydroxychloroquine is not an antiviral at best it protects the lung uh, through a mechanism called as uh, uh, subsidizing as a subsiding a cytokine storm or a inflammatory response so what has happened now is that people are buying chloroquine and taking it chloroquine is a medicine not without side effects it's got side effects including side effects on the heart on the mm-hmm. eyes and mm-hmm. the second and very unfortunate thing is that people who are taking chloroquine on a regular basis for diseases like rheumatoid arthritis non um, zero negative arthritis systemic lupus and other diseases who take this on a regular basis they are not able to get the medicine because people are holding chloroquine so um, who is listening to this please talk to your doctor i am sure he'll be sensible enough to tell you whether you need to take it or not dr sajid yes, thank you man. so much for bringing that up because you know that was that's a huge point and that's the huge reason why behind i want to do this series of podcasts because not only hoarding of medication like you said that can potentially have more him- health impacts on the individual but it is preventing those who need certain resources whether it be medication food or any essential from getting it because people get into panic mode when all of this misinformation spreads that, that's, and panic that's mode human is human nature that's human it's human nature i don't know you can blame them but it's our duty to educate them exactly no. that's why yeah. the proper information here you know thank you for bringing that up i i, I want to dive a little bit deeper into social distancing because sure. like you said before this lockdown um everybody was still going ahead doing their own things corporates were still open and there was a lot of interactions and there there's studies that have come out um you know one posted by the world economic forum said that with normal behavior one person will affect infect 2.5 people which is 406 people over 30 days and with 50% right. less contact they will infect 1.25 people in 5 days which is only yeah. 15 people in 30 days and with extreme isolation one person will affect 0.625 people which is 2.5 people in a month and if you think about in india if you put that into india's perspective we have a huge yeah. unhygienic just due to education or resources whatever it is viruses can spread very fast in india given our current state so it is imperative i i definitely want to reinforce your point that social distancing is implied you like we shouldn't be going yeah, to yeah i i i, I have seen, i have seen these figures well well um i i think that that they you know these are all uh, statistical projections but they they look good on uh, uh, paper and i'm sure that you know it's it's a, what is in theory is fairly good in practice too because uh, uh, many communities who fail to do this are paying the price now mm exactly exactly and um, yeah, india the, like, can, can i can i interject for a minute you of said course, of course of course the chance of spread is uh, uh, is high in india because of our overcrowding uh, our uh, poor hygiene Uh, i must add that uh, our nutritional levels are nowhere near what they should be uh, many people uh, take carbohydrate rich and protein poor diets which reduces the immunity a lot the carbohydrates give you only only calories or energy they do not give you uh, antibodies they do not give you uh, improvement in your immune systems nothing so we are we are, we are dealing with a population which is rather uh, uh undernourished or uh, uh, poorly nourished so in that way it is uh, the chance of spread is very high but then many people are asking the question that you know why are our numbers so relatively small mm-hmm. uh, is it under reporting uh, or is it if it is the truth is there a reason behind it and then uh, there have been some studies some uh, glimmers of hope Uh, coming through that uh, 
uh, Indians genetically may contain a small genetic, uh, uh, what shall I say, genetic uh, addition in their systems, which may make them a little more resistant to uh, the COVID than others. Of course, this doesn't give you a blanket uh, permission to rush out, enjoy, and kiss your neighbor, but uh, uh, there could be one of the reasons why it's not going up. So while there are a lot of negative points uh, uh, why this disease can spread like wildfire, there are little glimmers of hope coming through which may uh, save our uh, nation and race. I, I, From the bottom of our heart, I pray it's true, but it's early days yet. So I think in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, we may have more, uh, more uh, uh, news about this uh, so-called protective mechanism in certain... Uh, like there are, there are some stages, some studies which suggest that malaria endemic places are less prone to get this disease. If you look at the map of uh, the COVID spread today, you find a lot of Africa is not affected. And then Africa, which is uh, uh, totally, you know, um, what, what is the word I'm using? Devastated by malaria. And these people seem to be a little prone to, uh, to COVID. Is it the malarial, repeated malarial infection, which has given them some kind of immunity? Is it the overuse or misuse of chloroquine? Uh, we are yet to find out. Uh, like I said earlier, it's early days yet. It's work in progress. Mm. Then this is not, this is just a, it's just some uh, things coming in. I don't think that uh, uh, this could be classified as uh, the gospel truth. It is just that, you know, there's some, some ray of sunshine amidst, amidst uh, all this gloom, but I think the uh, at the moment the gloom is good because it will keep us scared and quiet and careful. Exactly, and we'll definitely keep you know the listeners uh, updated with that situation because hopefully, yeah, definitely, hopefully that's true. Um, and I want to move on to the overburden and the p- potential huge overburden on our hospitals and our equipment in hospitals to deal with such a crisis. Now, you know, I think it's it's fairly well known that um, we are underinvested in certain areas in healthcare, and we are under the recommended by huge amounts, um, yes, the number yes. of beds it, and it, nurses it, and it, doctors it, per it, population. It, it is true. It's true. It's absolutely true. I think when we look at our system, uh, uh, the system is divided into, in India, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, we have uh, several systems of medicines are running uh, parallelly. Uh, uh, you have uh, what is uh, wrongly uh, referred to as allopathy, which I don't believe that word is modern medicine. We have homeopathy, we have Ayurveda, we have Yunani, and we have a whole lot of other things like uh, um, naturopathy, chromotherapy, gemology, hydrotherapy, you name it, India has got it. Uh, now, I can only speak for the for the um, modern medical system or for the sake of everybody, let's say allopathy. You know, the word homeopathy means I suffer. Uh, allopathy means others suffer. I don't like to use that term at all. Uh, anyway, there are two, but in this, there are two streams. One is the public stream and the private stream. The public stream is the one which is supposedly free. Uh, accessible to everybody who needs it. The private system, there are several levels of it, starting from small one-man clinics to mighty corporate hospitals with uh, uh, branches of franchises in uh, every part of the country in all the major cities and now moving into lesser tier cities. Uh, In terms of doctors per million population, I think the recommended uh, uh, numbers are that they should be. Well, I'm I'm very poor at all this stuff, but we are uh, we are at about one th- one two thirds the level of number of uh, uh, doctors per population. And when we look at uh, when we try to compare the public sector uh, doctors with the private sector and the private sector doctors, when you look at the public sector, which caters to a vast majority of our population the numbers are very, very small. More, for instance, in Kerala, I understand that there are more 
private uh, hospital beds than there are public sector beds, public hospital beds. So that speaks for the system. Uh, again, the number of beds are very, very few. Uh, I was reading a, uh, an, an article a few days ago that in, the, in India, the number of beds per thousand population is 0. 0.55 uh, per thousand population, public sector beds. Uh, in certain places like Kerala and Bengal, the situation is much better. But, but when you take the country as a whole, there is the number of beds which are available, the number of ICUs that are available, the number of doctors that are available, the number of ambulances that are available, uh, the number of uh, ICU beds that are available is atrociously low uh, for the need. Even at regular times, forget about Corona times, even at regular times, mm -hmm. it is woefully short. Mm -hmm. Now, I, like I said, I, I'm very bad at statistics and I have not boned up on the number of beds and the number of beds uh, as recommended by WHO. I, I'll need to check that out, but I know it's woefully short. Now, as far as yeah. ventilators are concerned, as far as ventilators are concerned, uh, again, there are no uh, real, real figures as to how many uh, ventilators uh, are there in the country uh, and how many are with the public sector and how many are there with the private sector. But we probably have less than one-tenth the number of ventilators which we will require uh, in case this turns out into a full-blown uh, pandemic of COVID in the country uh, with shades of, say, Spain or Italy or United States or even the United Kingdom. So you are, I agree with you that in terms of uh, space, in terms of beds, in terms of uh, equipment, in terms of personnel, in terms of uh, even drugs maybe, we are woefully, woefully short. And we have to, uh, you know, buck up. Uh, the, the problem about the lockdown is, as one of my friends was telling me, who's in some ways associated with the pharma industry, is that they are ready to work full time, but the people are not able to reach the factories. Uh, mm. The supplies of uh, basic material is not coming. Uh, it may surprise people to know that a vast amount of the ingredients necessary for making medications, even in India, used to come from China because uh, the cost factor. It's much more mm -hmm. expensive to make the basics here or get it from Italy, which is another big source. So you get it from China. So now that has stopped and uh, raw materials are not reaching the pharmaceutical factory. So where do they manufacture? Even if they manufacture, they cannot uh, uh, move it out from the factories because there are no trucks because uh, uh, either the police don't allow the trucks to go or the truck drivers are too frightened to drive. So, so there, there is a, a logistical nightmare out there. Uh, and in a country this size and uh, which uh, so much of... Uh, differences in culture and uh, uh, superstitions and beliefs and fake uh, fake news and things like that, uh, it has uh, all the ingredients of a catastrophe in the making. So I'm, I'm sorry to sound so pessimistic, but uh, uh, this is a fact. And I'm also sorry I cannot give you statistics. Been my very, very poor... Uh, uh, you know, if I, even if I were to born today, I'll forget it tomorrow. No, that's completely fine. Um, but I think, you know, that paints a picture for us. If, if we are not able to control this virus by social distancing or whatever measures we take, you know, our yeah. hospitals are just not going to be able to deal with this situation. And, you know, another thing I want to talk about is doctors can easily get sick. Now, we already have a very low amount of doctors and nurses, and nurses, you know, are even more prone because they're interacting with the patients more often than the doctors. Um, what do we, what can we do here to control that? Because, you know, that would make the issue even a hundred times worse if we even lower the amount of doctors that we have right now available. Mm, it's an excellent question, um, Arman. Matter of fact, uh, I, I was just, somebody had asked me to write an article on uh, uh, medical practitioners, the front line of uh, our fight against COVID. And I recall reading somewhere, I, I'm not sure where, that uh, 
doctors and hospitals are not the front line they are the last line of defense the front line are you i am a doctor but at the moment not working so me you everybody else on the street we have to fight this by social distancing hand hygiene following orders we say taking some sacrifices in our stride the doctors are the last defense if our doctors and the medical system is overwhelmed who is going to fight this anymore i agree with you that we are right in the you know in the phase of it uh, as a medical profession especially the hospitals which have been authorized to admit and treat these patients see the simple thing is that up up doctors do not have enough ppes that is uh, uh, personal protection equipment have you seen these fellows walking around in things like space suits uh, the number of in a way they have to wear the number of mm-hmm. uh, socks they have to wear the number of gloves that they have to, to wear the inner wear the outer wear the zipped up stuff uh, the goggles the visors the multiple masks the head covers and all the stuff uh, we don't have that we don't have enough uh, they are working with simple surgical masks there are many places where they don't even have n95 masks so it is like 1962 war when our army was asked to advance in adverse weather uh, and face the chinese with the lee enfield 3.303 rifles and face the machine guns of the chinese the mm. medical profession is in that sort of a situation first of all i told you we do not have the numbers of uh, beds or equipment and then the doctors and the paramedical staff which includes everybody from the ambulance driver who brings the patient into the hospital to the people who receive it to the security people who control the crowds uh, to the ward assistants who wheel the patient into the icu the emergency nurses the lab technicians who come in to take the samples of uh, of blood and uh, nasopharyngeal swabs the nurses the nursing aides the ward boys the doctors the doctors assistants everybody is at very high risk so we are trying mm-hmm. to set some kind of a pecking order now uh, i think we are getting enough uh, uh, advice and guidance from our uh, bodies like the association of physicians of india the indian council of medical research the indian medical association that you know people at at high risk stay away from work doctors at high risk stay away from work i am at high risk at the moment i'm staying away from work doing some trying to do some telemedicine and things like that whatever i can help uh, and not trying to endanger myself and my patients to patients to to patients don't rush to hospitals for the smallest thing that you know this has become a style in kerala now you go to hospital for the slightest thing you have a niggle somewhere where it shouldn't niggle you have a ache somewhere it doesn't ache you rush to a hospital you rush to a doctor because they are so easily available and relatively cheap so don't do that don't go there uh, you stay at home you unfortunately the concept of physic uh, family physician has almost died out here everybody goes to hospital there's no family physician i have a family physician i have a following all of them call me before they do anything so if you have a family physician or you have a relative who's a doctor or who you have a friend who's a doctor call him and say this is my problem this is what what should i do and then he would be the one to advise you now if you got symptoms of covid now what are the symptoms of covid if you look at the incubation period incubation period is the time which takes from the from the moment that the the contagion the virus enters your body till you show the first symptom of the disease can range from 1 to 14 days you can be sick on the second day or you can be sick on the 14th day so it's a long incubation period mm. so if you are within that incubation period try to and you think you have been exposed or you have come traveled from an area which is endemic like iran or italy or now a hotbed is the uae uh, which is causing most of problems in kerala uh, stay at home now if you have a symptom don't try to hide it you call your doctor or you call the, there there are enough helplines to call they will guide you now if they suspect that you got a thing the only then you go to the hospital don't overload the system so this is the way we are trying to uh, do it you know it's a it's a lot of decisions you have to take for yourself 
and um, many hospitals have closed down the regular OPs. Doctors are working in shifts. Most of the hospitals here have now divided their workforce into two. 50% of them work for seven to 14 days, and then they stay at home for the next seven to 14 days. 50% of them do the other way. I mean, do it for the next seven to 14 days. Mm -hmm. So uh, the advice would be that, you know, if you've got a fever with a sore throat uh, and a bad breathing difficulty and a cough, don't sit at home saying, uh, Dr. Sujit Vastan said, don't go to the doctor. I think is that you have to be the guide. Contact your doctor over a telephone first and say, these are my symptoms. This is what I've done. I, I've been moving around. I was in Dubai two weeks ago. What do you think I should do? And mm. then follow that advice. That will definitely reduce the strain on the, uh, on the hospitals. It will right. reduce the strain on the, uh, the short resources which are available. And that is the best advice I can give. The distaff, of course, is that now if you have a little bit of a chest pain and then you decide, okay, doctors have said that it's okay and that, that turns out to be a heart attack. Uh, now, where, where does that leave us? So I think... Uh, I think that's a great... That's a great point to go into yeah. a little bit here. Um, you yeah. know, because of COVID, we're going to see a lot of fatalities from other um, medical-related things. Like, for example, if someone's having a heart attack, like you just said, if someone has yeah. cancer, the attention given to them is going no, to be I think, much lower. I, I, can, I, can I stop you there? I think we have to, we have to separate out these two things uh, uh, with a very, very wide uh, gorge between cancer and uh, uh, cancer is one section in most hospitals which is treated which is not being shut down okay uh, despite covid cancer cancer centers to their credit are working chemotherapy is being given radiotherapy is being given uh, while most elective surgeries are being deferred uh, cancer surgery is going on in most hospitals to my knowledge uh, which is very limited to Cochin. This is what I've been calling up hospitals and asking them and talking to my cancer patients and asking whether they are being regularly followed up. And they say, yes, the hospitals mm -hmm. even send ambulances for them to go in for the chemotherapy. So uh, we have to, I think, I don't think we are going to lose uh, uh, cancer patients to COVID. We are going to lose cancer patients to cancer. But mm. uh, the other, other side is uh, true that... Uh, if we drill this into the heads of our people that, uh, uh, you know, you should ignore symptoms, uh, then maybe we are going to, to lose patients to non-COVID diseases. Uh, but that is where, what I tried to explain right at the beginning, that when you have a symptom, you must have access to a doctor with whom you can discuss the symptom. Mm. Now, if one of my patients calls me and tells me that I've got a chest pain and I'm sure that he has not traveled anywhere for the last 14 days and he's not had exposure to COVID, I will ask him to come to my clinic. I have no staff, but I will take an ECG myself and uh, I will interpret it and I'll find out whether that he's got any chance of a heart disease. Uh, ICUs are still open in all hospitals. They're not closed then. So I, I think this is where... Uh, the patient and the doctor both have to be on the same page and, uh, you know, use uh, common sense and judgment uh, for treatment. I'm only saying sure. that uh, if you start sneezing, you wake up today morning and you start sneezing because you've always been going to an air-conditioned office, but today your wife asked you to dust the furniture and you start sneezing. You don't rush to your doctor thinking that, you know, could this be the first sign of corona? Correct. You, yeah. see, the, you, know, you see the difference between the two things which I'm saying. So, mm -hmm. so uh, a lot of it has to be left to individuals' uh, uh, discretion and uh, judgment and uh, common sense. Right, right. And I, I think, again, that leads to another good point that we should talk about. And it will lead us into a few good case studies of people and countries who have dealt with it well. But can you go into the importance of testing of COVID-19? Why is it such an important factor that we should be looking at and how will it help us? And then we can go a little bit into, you know, how South Korea used testing to really control and maintain uh, the number of cases. 
right right i think uh, uh, the who uh, one of the very few good things that it has done one of the good things that they have done is a test 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 and test uh, by testing one is you are able to um, exclude a lot of patients who you thought could be having covid you could also diagnose early now unfortunately uh, the icmr's initial guidelines which i feel were uh, uh, due to shortages of testing kits you know nobody is really prepared for this pandemics and mm-hmm. every country we do not uh, we only recently started making these kits we were importing them at something like uh, uh, 4500 rupees a test uh, which is what has been now allowed by, by the private labs charge so we did not have enough kits and kits and we were uh, our testing rates were some of the uh, lowest in the world if i remember at one point in, in time uh, i remember seeing a kind of uh, chart which said that we were testing 6.8 persons per million population when uh, south korea was doing close to 5000 per million population i mean correct where is 6.8 and where is 5000 uh, i think last week the numbers have gone up a little beyond 10 uh, i vaguely really remember seeing somewhere i can't i can't put my hand on my article sure. i read that somewhere somewhere but the the reason that so icmr's initial thing was that you test patients with symptoms only okay so if you are traveling from iran and uh, within the next 14 days of having having traveled to iran you come with a sore throat and a fever and there are lower respiratory symptom you are eligible to undergo the test which is uh, uh, what they do is a nasopharyngeal swab they do a a a, a, a long broom with a thing is put through the nose to the back of the throat another one is put through the mouth to the back of the throat and it takes swabs not at the same time at different times and there is uh, transported through a, a virus transporting medium to a lab and the report takes between 24 and 48 hours uh, the test is called as a rt pcr the full form is reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction test for the virus uh, so only those people who were who were uh, uh suspected to have traveled to a infested place or been exposed to somebody and had symptoms were eligible to be tested and uh, whereas uh, you mentioned south korea specifically i think taiwan also did that they set up a mass uh, testing center because if you recall the south korea that a number of people had gone to a church the one church group where a whole number right. of people became symptomatic uh they, they tested all of them and everybody had come in contact with them everybody could get the test they didn't like they have mcdonald drive through they had drive through testing you could go in your car and get they started malaysia also they could but the police was charging uh south korea i understand it was free um i subject to correction that they would test so they, they could test a whole lot of people and reassure them that uh, they did not have the the covid virus Uh, so you know, the, the the coronavirus uh, with the result that uh, it not only uh, settled a lot of anxieties but then uh, they, they 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 never had lockdown uh, they never had uh, a run on their uh, uh, medical systems uh, they did not even shut down the international airports um, on the other hand when you look at places like italy or spain uh, they tended to disregard this uh, uh, social distancing it is only when it was little too late uh, that they they uh, got into social distancing and they started uh, even though very sluggish with tests at the beginning extremely sluggish with the testing we have got now rapid tests which are coming in there is even a indian made lab rapid test by by a company in pune where you will be able to get the test in something like 2.5 to 3 hours and i think they are getting it from from abbott and places like that where they are able to do a similar sort of uh, uh, test uh, pcr polymerase chain reaction test they are able to do that uh, uh, and get give the result in 2.53 hours and they are able to bring down the cost from 4500 rupees to much mm-hmm. lower levels of uh, maybe 1500 rupees or so so with that and the import of uh, larger number of uh, test kits uh, 
uh, I think our testing numbers should go up. Uh, it will probably help us to uh, detect cases, isolate them, quarantine them uh, at earlier stages, and uh, probably prevent the spread of these things. I would also like to, uh, if there is any influential person, the uh, decision maker, uh, listening to uh, your uh, broadcast, a podcast, uh, is that we must think of having uh, compulsory quarantine centers where people who are strongly suspected of having this should be forcibly kept away from the rest of the, uh, of the population. See that they are well fed, that they are comfortable, that they are uh, hygienically looked after, that they get their basic needs, but they should be kept away. I think we made that two or three small mistakes which could have very big consequences is keeping our airports open so long for international travel, not mm -hmm. uh, detaining these people who had come from uh, this so-called thermal scanning. Um, it's such a ridiculous thing because thermal scanning tests your temperature. Now, you don't, get a temperature, you don't get a fever till you become symptomatic and it takes 14 mm -hmm. days sometimes for you to become symptomatic. What is the use of measuring the temperature and telling them you've got no fever, you can go home? There have been cases in Kerala of uh, people who have gone repeatedly to public sector hospitals saying, I have come from Dubai, can I be tested? And they've been told, you're not symptomatic, you go back. A person apparently came in, a, in an ambulance or was sent back by an auto rickshaw, three days later tested positive. Mm. It talks of uh, certain uh, irresponsible attitudes and trying to, uh, you know, follow the law to a T, which said that you do not test asymptomatic patients. I think if we tested, if we had tested, even now if we start testing asymptomatic patients whom we suspect, test every patient in every hospital who has been admitted for a respiratory problem, only then we are going to know there is a community spread. Correct. At the moment, we are shouting from the rooftops that there is no community spread. But do we really Correct. know there is a community spread or not? How are we going to know that? Mm -hmm. All the and I think that we are seeing so far. Pardon? Sorry. I, I was going to say, I, I think that's a, you know, a huge point that South Korea did as well. They tested a lot of asymptomatic people. Right. So whether they, they had the they disease... Whether they had symptoms or not, they were testing and then using that and a combination of data such as, you know, they were doing amazing things like using credit card data to right. analyze. But they, where they, mobile have data. Been. they were tracking exactly. you on mobile, they were tracking you on the mobile. Yeah, that's right. That's right. To see if you have come in come in contact with people and those people who we have come in contact are then given a notification, hey, look, you've come in contact with someone who has the virus, you should probably self-isolate. You know, these measures are super important to get on top of yeah, the yeah, virus. I mean, and like that, you that, said. That, 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 that advice is going out in India. There's no doubt that that advice is going out here through every every medium. But uh, uh, the testing is not being done, which is sad. I mean, but then, then, you know, we are not a... <clears throat> sorry. We are not a very rich country like South Korea, uh, you know, <clears throat> and we didn't have the test kits. So I suppose there are excuses. These are excuses. We can't say that, you know, that six months ago we should have placed an order for, uh, you know, 12 million kits of uh, 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 reverse transcripted polymerized chain reaction kits for uh, mm -hmm. testing an unknown uh, uh, virus which is being seen for the first time ever in the history of the world so correct but then correct. The that's, same, that's I mean, very this true applies, this applies to the uk this applies to to spain it applies to the united states it applies to uh, portugal it applies to italy italy mm -hmm. uh, you know italy has reached such a stage that uh, uh, again i don't know whether this is true but it could be quite true that they do not treat people beyond a particular age if they say that prioritization, no, we're right. not going to wait our waste our resources on these people. We'll try to save the younger, more productive uh, people who are worth saving. So mm -hmm. uh, this is called as triaging. You know, it's called triaging. Mm -hmm. That it happens during mass casualties or during a war when the helicopters or uh, ambulances bring in people who have been struck by a mortar shell or a 
55 millimeter, 155 millimeter, or with a shell. And they look at all these fellows, okay, this guy has got part of his head blown off, put him aside. This guy has got mm. both his lower limbs shot off below the hip, put him aside. This guy has got uh, shrapnel in his abdomen, take him for surgery. You know, this guy, so you sort of do triaging, you sort of take a decision on the ground, who is going to get treatment, who is not, whether the person who's got the best chance of survival, treat him. So that kind mm. of triaging is occurring in Italy, at least. Uh, I'm sure that uh, if we do not follow all the guidelines and, you know, don't do all the things that we have been talking about, uh, that the doctors in India are also going to be put in the same position of uh, being asked to triage uh, their patients. Because right. you know, there is only so much of the pie to go around, you know. No, no, you can't, you can't feed uh, 10 people with two idlis. <laughs> That's very true. And I think that that'll be a very, uh, you know, sad consequence if we are not it's able to contain It's a sad consequence, but this is, this is, uh, Alma, this is war. Mm -hmm. This is war. You cannot, uh, you know, it, it, you can, it cannot be a cushy affair. Mm -hmm. It is reality. It is reality. It is shortage of everything. Except patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you I, know. I, I hope. I, I hope that I, I, I don't sound very uh, cruel or uh, you know uh, distance myself from uh, uh, emotion totally when I when I say these things. I don't. No, I think I, it's I'm, it's an important it's an important thing to bring up because it is an eventuality if the series of events continues the way it is. And, you know, it's definitely something that we have to think about. And, you know, it's a f philosophical debate almost that, you know, our leaders of the country will and have we to are, take we are, up. We are days, we are days about, about, I mean, from, from being a philosophical debate to becoming a, a reality debate. Correct. You know, not, we are not even weeks, we are days away from it. Mm -hmm. Next mm -hmm. two weeks will be extremely decisive for India. Mm -hmm. You know. Agreed. If, if we, I, yeah, so if you can sort out some of the insurmountable problems that we have, like these migrants, which is, you know, it's sort of, uh, uh, I'm not prone to cry, but when I look at this TV, I get tears in my eyes. When I look at the people suffering like this, you know, mm -hmm. and there's nothing that anybody can do or could have done to prevent this from happening unless you had, you know, enough time to react. Everybody says mm -hmm. you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done the lockdown. Then what is the effect of that? Nobody thinks of that. Correct. And I, I, I think let's let's move into a little bit of the closing because we you know we touched on yes. um, a few very oh, good so points. Sorry. I, we... told, I told you you must stop <laughs> when I when I yeah. No, no, no problem. Uh, so we touched on what is the virus and how do we contract it, the theories behind the way the way it started, the overburdening in Indian hospitals potentially and the existing overburden and you know the importance of testing in South Korea's case study but let, let's end on a little bit of a positive note for everybody because you know there are a few potential long-term you know it may be hard to see right now but there are a few potential long-term benefits that we can get out of this um, one being yeah there may be a prioritization towards healthcare in the future in terms of investment so we will be more prepared and more ready for handling everyday and day-to-day -day diseases and viruses in our country. And also, um, if you do have knowledge on this, could you expand on India has experience in dealing with previous viruses, you know, polio, we were a big part in, you know, we, we and we did a great job in eradicating polio. So I yeah, think I'm very proud that I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that I'm a Rotarian and, Rotary has contributed so much to polio, so much to polio. Unfortunately, its uh, role has not been really defined by the government, but our role, we have been fighting polio for more than 25 years now. I have been fighting polio for 25 years now. Anyway. So, yeah, tell me. Yeah, sorry. So could you expand on that? Like, you know, how did we, just just briefly, how did we fight that? And how can we use some of that, some of that expertise? See, it, to it, it, we, we, fought, we fought smallpox. We fought smallpox and polio. Correct. WHO has given us credit that we were in the front line again, like use the word front line, like it's going out of style. Um, 
but 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 then you know smallpox has been uh, endemic in india it was never a epidemic in the sense that it never uh, it it used to spring up here and there but then it has smoldering cases all all the time all over the place so we did that we 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 treated both these diseases with uh, a very well funded very well thought out and extremely well carried out vaccination program okay you uh, the way to eradicate a disease there are two two things that you do one is you treat a disease and the second thing is you eradicate a disease you the only smallpox and polio you find polio you find in four countries in the world with the fifth country unfortunately reporting cases a few months ago uh wild polio cases but smallpox is found only in labs unfortunately mostly in military labs where it's been kept as a potential bioterrorism weapon uh but you know you if you vaccinate 100% of the population uh against a particular disease over a period of time the disease will disappear because uh it gets into you oh for oh hell there is uh, i got antibodies against me it comes to me the antibodies here ultimately doesn't survive it has got no host it cannot get into a cell so it sort of dies out so it starts dying out in small communities larger communities and then that's how it works and we are now doing what are called as the mopping up operations for polio in that twice a two days in a year we still give polio virus even though polio vaccine is universal now you know polio polio vaccine is given to all children everybody understands that polio all children have to be vaccinated against polio we are still using the oral polio vaccine in the us they use the injectable polio vaccine but all children are vaccinated but we are just mopping up operations in case somebody was sick that day and or did not receive or some of the parents were sick or were out of town and missed the dose so we give the give the children uh, the benefit this is how we beat polio how we beat smallpox and how we beat polio by vaccination unfortunately there is no vaccine for this drug as of uh, for this disease as of now but in seattle in uh, united states in washington state in the united states they have started off with vaccines the uk is working on vaccines india is working on vaccines but the problem about vaccines is that it takes a long time to develop these vaccines they have to be mm-hmm. tested on human volunteers for possible side effects therefore safe for, for the safety reasons they have to be tried on on patients and then there will be mass mass manufacture all this takes time so we are probably 8 to 12 months from the nearest vaccine so that is probably the only time that we will be able to really try and fight the disease and maybe that will save the people who are left behind we don't know how many are going to be left behind when this when this uh, pandemic is over a scary thought but it, we have to think of that too so i think uh, vaccination is going to be the ultimate answer till then prevention there is no cure they have tried a whole lot of uh, uh, this most patients 80% the good thing is that 80% of people recover without uh, without medications they recover on their own just like the flu you get this mm-hmm. like the flu you recover like the flu so many symptoms are similar to the flu 20% of patients who require hospitalization or require critical care or require intensive care they have tried chloroquine they have tried dihydrochloroquine they have tried drugs antiviral drugs which were formerly used for hiv like uh, lopinavir and uh, uh, ritonavir they have tried a failed drug for which they tried for ebola which is called as remdesivir uh, which is <clears throat> found to be effective they have tried some interferon beta which antivirals so those medicines are being used for treatment but there is no guidelines there is a a uh, study which has been recommended by who called as a solidarity trial uh, about 50 50 molecules are being tried in various parts of the world india also is i think part of the solidarity trial because we have also got adequate patients now to try these on four drugs are being tried to see and then there, there may be recommendations so maybe we can win over this but at the moment the virus is, seems to be virus seems to be winning Sure yeah that i mean that that makes sense and um vaccinations are very important like he said i listened to an interview with bill gates on a ted talk and he said we're about 18 months away potentially from a vaccination so yeah until then we will have to use containment strategies but 
Yes. I would like to again end on the positive note that uh, we will yeah, redirect note, more let funds. Yeah, the positive note. Let me tell you, Arman, the very positive. Mm-hmm. Could I just interrupt you for a minute to tell about a very positive note? Yeah. Uh, air I breathe in today is very healthy. Correct. Much more uh, cleaner than what we do. Uh, the skies are uh, brighter, bluer, and uh, birds are coming to my garden. I saw two. red vented bulbuls yesterday i saw two latin lotens uh, sunbirds day before yesterday whole lot of bunias i think that's a, that's the plus side of this maybe the maybe we'll realize that we need to give a little bit back to nature than, than to take everything out of it now you finish i agree it, yeah sorry uh, yeah i yeah. think you know it, it's it may be a cool thing we even think about in the future you know giving a week where we all work from home and we all do you know we close down everything and reduce the strain that we're putting on the environment because it it will have huge consequences but okay. dr sajid um thank you so much for your time i think this is a good place to close up we've covered a lot yeah. and um yeah thank you so much for your time you're welcome i hope something helps yeah it definitely helped and thanks everybody for listening see you on the next podcast